Northern Brewer is the proud sponsor of the Brewing Network's Jameel Show. They have the widest selection of domestic and imported malts and grain, hops from all over the world, and a full line of liquid and dry yeast. No matter what style of beer you're brewing, Northern Brewer has the ingredients you need, plus fast shipping and expert staff to help you make the best beer possible. Please visit northernbrewer.com for all things homebrew. Proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now your hosts, Jameel Zaynashef and John Plisay. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Hey, howdy, hey. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah, we're, we're, we're back. back. We're back. What the hell happened? That's the weird Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, we ended the shows. We're done. We're we, over. We finished, finished up. We were, we were done with what we're doing. And then, uh, and, uh, then there was a lot of crying. There, lot was a, of there was a lot of complaining. There was a lot of emailing, a lot of... Uh, uh, pulling of the hair and uh, gnashing of the teeth and uh, you know rending of the clothing and all right, that stuff. Right, right. And uh, mostly from you. Well, yeah. Enough about me. Uh, <laughs> some some of the uh, the listeners actually cared too. Yeah, they actually listened and yeah, yeah. They were I sad to see you leave. And some of them were like, whoa, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah. Hold First on. off, you know, a number of them took us up on the offer to redo the cider show. Which was probably a good idea, right? Right? right. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna we have a really good guest, uh, Gary Otti, uh, who's going to talk about ciders. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put out a, a great show like like the Mead Show was, yeah, which right. what the cider folks asked. And then, uh, you know, after we do this one, we're going to have a, a couple others. We're going to do uh, for those of you listening live, we're going to do uh, Australian sparkling ale. Yeah, and then we're going to do uh, malt liquor. Yeah, That's malt liquor one begins. is because uh, like Justin, you know. Has some debt he needs to pay off or something, you know? Not <laughs> a little IOU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. Exactly. So you know, the man says, you know, jump. We say how high. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, and it brought up a uh, a whole other thing, which was, uh, uh, you know, more more than uh, a few people don't want to see uh, the Jamil show end. Okay. So, so what, so what, what I mean, do we do? Yeah, you know, we had already said goodbye. But here's the thing: the Jamil show is going to be reborn. Uh oh, going to be reborn. We're going to be doing the Jamil show. Can you brew it? Nice. This is going to be kind of the beer challenge. Uh, you know, we noticed that. We all get a lot of uh, requests from people. Sure. You know, I'm sure you get people all the time asking you, hey, you know, John, how do I make, you know, uh, my favorite beer? How do I make Mirror Pond? How do I make, uh, you know, uh, Silk Stout? Old old English 800. Oh, yeah, I know. know, Right, right. So uh, 
we thought, hey, you know, what would be better than uh, a chance to, uh, you know, try and, you know, satisfy those requests? And we'll go in and we'll talk about the different beers, uh, what, uh, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk to the breweries. We'll formulate a recipe with or without the brewery's help. If they if they'll help, that's great. If yes, they won't help, uh, oh well. Move on. We'll yeah. brew the beers. Ooh, and we'll we'll it's taste them side by side. Yeah, we'll see if we can do it. Fun. Can can we brew it? I right? think our first one should be a malt liquor. Right. Right. Well, and, and <laughs> there you go. So uh, we got. Uh, uh, Tasty, Tasty slash juicy McDole is going to be there. Uh, he's going to he's going to co-host this thing. Nice. What about be, what about Chad? With, I'll be there and making the beers. He's going to be there and and uh, and what we'll do is uh, uh, we'll we'll uh, hunt down uh, you know whatever the beers people will uh, send in requests. Yeah. And uh, we got an email address for that yet? <laughs> juicy at. <laughs> Of course not. That would that have required forethought on my part. Like, we're going to do something like, uh, can you brew it uh, at thebrewerynetwork.com? What do you want it to be? I'll make it right now. I'll do it while you're speaking. Juicy. Juicy. Can it be tasty, can't. juicy? No, no, no. Tasty, juicy at, at the Brewing Network. No, no. Uh, yeah, we can just do can you brew it, right? Can, can you brew it. I like can yeah. you brew it. At, at yeah. thebrewerynetwork.com. So, so what do you think, Mike? I think it's going to be a lot of fun because uh, we're going to uh, probably give enough information that people will be able to themselves make pretty good versions of these really right. good beers, right. and it's going to be pretty exciting, I think. Absolutely. One, I'll, I'll tell you a little secret. I've already started on beer one. Which, I mean, what? I mean whoa, we're whoa, actually going to get to try some of your beer? Which means Tasty's already a slacker. Yeah. <laughs> in you're, this, being, you're behind. In this yeah. new program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before this show is over, I'll be known as the slacker. <laughs> right. we'll get, you'll get to that really quick. Right. Yeah. So, uh, no, I've already brewed uh, a Moostrule clone. Moostrule. Nice. Good right? beer. Nice. Talk to the brewer. Uh, have uh, and, and actually, uh, Chris White came over, and uh, he was there, too. He was there too. Where I don't know. Where, uh, My place. Oh yeah, throwing some beer. Wow, okay. I heard that. Didn't Watching t- you brew. It didn't take uh, five thousand vials neither. Came <laughs> over. Had had some uh, had some of my pulled pork. Yeah, he enjoyed my pulled pork. I'm sure he did. But did he enjoy your beer? He's a harsh beer critic. Chris White is. You know, I think we went uh, we went all commercial. We we start <laughs> off with some moose roll, of course. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then we were like drinking some uh, Rauch beers brought back from Germany and stuff like that. So, so he didn't get into your cellar at all, huh? Nah, I, I showed it to him, but nobody, oh, oh, you know, nobody, nobody asked. You got to ask. I'm not going to offer. You got to ask. But you're the host. You're supposed to like no, no. share. Please, 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 please. Okay. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll be we'll be uh, you know kind of revamping the whole thing. Okay. And uh, sweet, you know. So it doesn't mean you guys are brewing every week. No, no, no. no oh, no, okay. No. Once it, a month. It or? means you're brewing every week. No, no, no. no. We're going to have some associate brewers. <laughs> Chad's brewing every week. Uh, he is one of those. Yes. Okay, good. Huh? What about yeah. Justin? Is he brewing? Uh, I Justin think so. Bruce? I think so. I tell you this: if Justin can brew it, then certainly all our listeners can. Yeah, I was. I got put on the list of of brewers to help. And I, I was kind of flattered by that until Jay Z added the caveat that it's like, well, yeah, because if you can brew it, anybody can, and that it's proof that we've done it right. <laughs> right. Well, it's like well, proof. Yeah. Wow. Okay. No sanitation required, huh? That beer. Sanitation required. <laughs> exactly. 
(laughs) (laughs) The recipe is so good, you don't even have to clean. Exactly. (laughs) It's like a brew off. Yeah. Wow. That's that's cool. So it's a good idea. Yeah, I I think I think we're gonna have a a great time doing it. I think uh, you know this way we're we're continuing on, Mister Police. A okay. It's almost like fantasy beer. Like you should have like a best of over a course of a year in like right. top three wins and points. Go. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a <laughs> yeah, quite well, the sure. yeah. We're open to everything. Yeah, okay, sorry. But I, th- I think uh, I think we're gonna have some fun with this. Absolutely. Let's brew <laughs> and drink. Hey, drink. Sorry, drink. the Mickey's is kicking in already. Yeah, he's so. already he's already sees he's cracked his first forty. Yeah. He's going with the Mickey's. This is this is in preparation for a show two and a half hours from now. Yeah, so. <laughs> he's got an OE hat on. Yeah, <laughs> That's he's got the hey, he's Gucci got, got the, me this hat. He's got yeah. the killer OE hat. Mm-hmm. It's got a little corduroy going yeah, you on. Like it? It's got the, it's a trucker hat. It's breathable. It's got the the breathable mesh in the back. Mm-hmm. You know, you like the trucker hat because it's breathable. So Absolutely. the uh, <laughs> so the sweat can uh, pour out the back of the hat there. <laughs> oh, All oh, right. Man. So, uh, we're talking ciders today, right? Sober. Yes. Semi-sober. Semi-sober. I got here early, like at five, drink. and right. uh, Chad treated me like a like a king, and we've uh, been drinking anything I, I darn well choose, and we've been <laughs> going through the uh, the beers aged in 30-year-old scotch barrels and things like that. Yeah, that, that was, they're strong. They're good. Yeah. Some Good organic strong. IPA was good. Yeah, yeah, the organic IPA, the American IPA, won uh, best of show. That's a, that's one nice beer. We're all going like, hey, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I drink a couple pints of that. Yeah, absolutely. And Justin's like, well, how come I what don't have Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> look on his face, like, Whoa. so heartbroken. Puppy <laughs> dog eyes gone. It's ridiculous. <laughs> how about me? Drinking like an eight-year-old commercial beer I just dug up at the bottom of the fridge. <laughs> What about me? Pour some for me. <laughs> I got some Mickey's. Okay, all right. So, so we're talking cider, and I think you know we got one of the one of the the foremost experts on uh, that's uh, going to be coming up here. We're going to take a, a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, Gary Audi. There you go. Uh, one of the one of the great uh, home brewing cider experts out there. We'll be back after this. Okay, so my double IPA has an ABV of 7.5 and a clarity of brilliant. So that's a plus 8. I pour it. Sorry. Looks like she found it unpalatable. Ha! Shut up, Doug. My creek gets a plus 10 versus girls because it's a fruit beer. You can't open the bottle and she walks over to the guy with the Pinot Grigio. This sucks. Ugh, I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. What's this? Non-Alcoholics Anonymous? Dude, get out of here. We're in the middle of a brew session. Is that an actual beer? Yeah. I crafted it. I don't really uh, use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Have you ever been called upon to explain why it's named India Pale Ale? Do you burp Y-Yeast 3522 and crap Cascade? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs. Ingredients, equipment, and knowledge 24 hours a day at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the Tongue Splitter. I've got dry hops stuck in my braces. And the burp. And barrel porter. Now on tap in the Mose Eisley Cantina. Make tenth level at northernbrewer.com. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months. And then to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines, so I'm the professional. <clears throat> 
Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Okay, we're back. We're talking cider. And uh, we've got on the line a guy, uh, Gary Audie. He is uh, quite the cider expert. He actually was part of the group that wrote the uh, uh, BJCP cider guidelines. Whoa, nice. Uh, he... Uh, he actually graphs uh, cider apples, peri pears, things like that. He's, he's uh, done about 300 varieties. Whoa. Wait, he, he grafted multiple apples together to do different oh, well, yeah, varieties? They, they take like a, you know, a, a stalk of a piece of a, a tree. Yeah, that, exactly. Uh, does, and then they graft it onto like the base tree oh, just wow. to grow those types of apples. Nice job. And then, uh, uh, so, and, and apparently he specializes in... Uh, uh, Ciders that are similar to those found in Normandy. Oh, he actually so, selected a region. Yeah. Fascinating, right? So, yeah. uh, he, and and I've heard that he was the guy who gave the uh, talk at the BJCP function in Cincinnati this year at the NHC. It's gonna be a good show. When I went to yeah. find an expert on ciders, yeah, how'd people, you do this? P- p- people were whining about the cider show, and they're like, "Hey, <laughs> you shouldn't do one as good as you did for the mead show." And I'm like, "Okay, well, yeah, I, I'd be Don't. glad to do that." I asked around. I asked like you know ten people that I know, and uh, eight of them responded. Out of the eight that responded, six of them said Gariotti. They already knew his name. They're like, oh, you want the guy? Gar- you want Gariotti? Nice. So we got Gariotti on the phone. Gary, how yeah. are you doing? Hi, fine, thanks. How are you? Oh, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah. Uh, uh, we really want to do a great cider show for our listeners, and uh, I'm told you are the man. Yeah, we're gonna pick oh, your thank brain. You. So, Gary, can we start off? One of the things we like to do is start off kind of uh, describing uh, the style that we're talking about. In this case, there's several cider styles, right? Can you give us a brief rundown of uh, the cider styles and, and what we might expect from from uh, at least sure. one of them? Uh, well, overall, the big picture, two cider style, um, over uh, two styles, uh, standard and specialty. Standard are the ciders and parries that have been made with just apples or pears, uh, no adjuncts, just maybe normal cellar treatments, maybe some, um, in some cases you might allow some enzymes, things like that ahead of time, but nothing that would really affect the flavor um, uh, directly. And then the specialty ciders and parries are the ones to which things have been added, adjuncts. Uh, it might be just sugar, as in the case of a, an apple wine, or brown sugar, molasses, grapes, as in, in the case of a New England style cider, <clears throat> um, spices, um, 
uh, other fruits added for the fruit category. So that's the big picture difference. Then uh, in the standard cider category, you've got five subcategories. You've got common cider, which is cider made from apples that are generally considered to be commonly available, uh, mostly um, similar to what you might find in the supermarket or, or your local market. Um, and then um, sometimes that's supplemented with uh, wild apples that people might have growing nearby. And there's English cider, which is a, a, a drier, more tannic cider, uh, similar to found in England. Uh, French cider, uh, also a tannic cider, uh, tends to be sweeter. And then two cider cat- uh, subcategories, excuse me, two peri subcategories. There's the common peri, which is made from commonly available pears, and then uh, traditional peri, which is made with pears that have been grown specifically for fermentation. Um, there are a lot of old varieties in um, in England and in France, and uh, they uh, vary quite a bit in in acidity and in uh, level of uh, astringency, but they're uh, substantially different um, in the final product from what you would get from your normal dessert pair. So, uh, one of the things that that I've noticed is. Uh, you know, when when you start sampling different uh, commercial ciders, even uh, you find that uh, they're they're widely ranging in kind of uh, tannins and dryness and sweetness and alcohol and uh, you know flavors and esters and you know a lot of, a lot of different characters that. Uh, I think you know somebody who doesn't care for cider probably hasn't tried enough of, hasn't found one that really speaks to them. So you know, some people like something drier and more tannic. Some people might like something sweeter, more dessert-like things like that, more apple juice type mm-hmm. of type of uh, ciders. And I, and I I think that uh, you know that's one of the. Uh, the, the the darn things. If somebody says they don't like cider, they probably haven't tried enough. Is that something that uh, that you find as well, Gary, or, or am I? Oh, uh, absolutely, and that's uh, and a lot of cider makers have found that to be true as well. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people's first exposure to cider has been made has been something that was made by their uh, uncle Joe or cousin Fred uh, down in the cellar. It's uh, uh, often been badly made um it's it's it may have uh some really off flavors that only the cider maker himself might like um and um uh, usually there's some sort of story that goes along with that with some sort of intense uh gastrointestinal distress so (laughs) that's that's, (laughs) you know that's that's many people's initial uh initial exposure to cider and so after that it's it's usually forms an unfavorable uh, impression, and you never get past that. And a, a lot of commercial cider makers who um, are trying to put out a really nice product find that um, every day is is a is a is is a struggle to get people to try cider. Um, Steve Wood comes has Steve Wood, who's a cider maker in New Hampshire, very fine cider maker. Um, he describes it as um, getting people to taste cider is. Um, them saying they don't like it, and he practically has to hold his, their mouths open and force it down their throats to try it before they'll say, "Hey, I like this." So it's it's definitely not a that's not an uncommon phenomenon. Now, that's an if, if, if you were to to put it into uh, uh, 
you know, kind of boil it down to the essence. What makes a good cider, or what makes a great cider? What what is it that you know really defines you know it commonly differentiates an award winning cider from just any old cider somebody throws together? Well, Tough question, I know. Not not really. Um, cider making in in a lot of regards is is more closely akin to winemaking than beer making, in that the um, the cider basically is made in the orchard, and the the most the most uh, significant factor by far is the selection of the fruit that's used and the condition uh, that it's in when it's pressed. Um, and um, there, literally, there are, there are thousands of varieties of apples and, and many, many, many varieties of pears. Um, most people aren't even aware of the incredible variety that's out there. And um, unfortunately, uh, this is this is a lot different from making beer in the sense that you may be accustomed to going down to your favorite homebrew shop or ordering online to get the ingredients you need. With with cider and perry, it's a different story. It's 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 really a challenge to source the, a lot of the more interesting types of fruit. And so what happens is the people that really get into it end up um, in a lot of cases either doing a, a tremendous amount of uh, searching around for growers. Who um, who grow these varieties? Some of these varieties, um, or in some cases, even uh, plant some of the trees themselves, grow them in their their own backyards, or find relatives that have have a little bit of room for some trees, and they start growing their own fruit. What are the uh, varieties that you would recommend people look for if they wanted to make cider? Oh my! I just, it's it's really hard to to know where to start with that because there's so many good varieties. Uh, if you're talking about an English cider. Um, just dozens of varieties uh, come to mind. A few of them would be Kingston Black, Yarlington Mill, Chisel Jersey, Porter's Perfection, Sweet Coppin, Foxwell. I mean, these these are common. Uh, these are varieties that are commonly known in England. Uh, they're getting to be known uh, a little bit better in North America, and uh, some of them are also available in uh, in Australia as well. Um, in the French ciders, I I. I I, my French is pretty bad, so I, I have a tough time try, trying to pronounce a lot of the varieties I'm growing, but a few of them, Frequent Rouge, Rende Palm, Javou, um, Javou, excuse me, uh, Jolie Rouge, Girard, Binet Rouge, Bidan, um, um, just, uh, let's see, oh, and then in North America, um, some of the varieties that people are already familiar with probably would be Cortland, Gravenstein, uh, Liberty's a really good uh, disease-resistant variety. Northern Spy, Baldwin. Um, but then there's some also some historic varieties um, that have been around longer and that make great cider. Golden Russet, Roxbury Russet, um, Campfield. Some some of them have great names like Granny Winkle, um, Harrison. I see, I see your Granny Winkle. <laughs> What's that? I see your Granny Winkle. Yeah, you do. Granny Winkle. Yeah, mm-hmm. hey, yeah it's an old variety. Um, um, uh, probably from uh, very popular, well known about a hundred years ago, hundred hundred fifty years ago, um, and then there's some southern varieties: black twig, limber twig, Smith cider, and then uh, Hughes crab, also known as Virginia crab. There's there's this tremendous history in Europe, in in England, in France, and and in and in North America. Um, a lot of it's been forgotten, and now is being re- rediscovered. So a lot of uh, a lot of people are starting to grow these varieties again, 
um, you can find the uh, you can find nurseries that will grow them, uh, that will sell them. Um, in fact, uh, I don't know if your listeners in North America are interested. But I can name a few growers. Yeah, if, please. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. Well, I don't have any connection with any of these, but uh, in the uh, Finger Lakes region of New York, there's Cummins Nursery. Um, in California, Trees of Antiquity. Uh, in the southern U.S., in the Appalachian region, there's Big Horse Creek Farms. And in Virginia, there's Vintage Virginia Apple. Um, and if you uh, if you punch these all into a search engine, you'll get all the information you need on on um, how to contact them and how to order and find out what they they have available. But uh, these these four, and these are not the only nurseries, but I just offer these as a starting point. They all ship. So if you uh, if you're curious and you want to find out how difficult it is to uh, to order your own trees and grow them, that's that's a great starting point. So Gary, you know. Uh is is every location in the U.S. and Australia and you know around the world are, are do they have are are there people growing great cider apples or you know are some of our listeners going to need to to brew from a kit or something like that or from a an extract of some kind or here's another question for you is apple juice that you buy in the store is that like a malt extract to a to a beer brewer that's a good question. Apple juice that you buy in the store uh, typically is 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 made from concentrate. Um, it'll have a, it'll have some apple juice in it, but it'll also have um, typically it'll have uh, some water and um, some type of sugar, whether it's cane sugar or corn sugar. And so it's been it's it's generally been extended. Sometimes you'll find a premium uh, apple juice that has not not been extended like that, but. In any case, it's it will have been stabilized usually by pasteurization, and it's um, it, they normally you have to check the ingredients if you want to ferment it because if it's had sorbate added, it's it's kind of a non-starter. You, you're have a, you're going to have a really tough time getting um, any yeast to do anything with it. Uh, for most people that don't have their own trees, um, they're they're really at the uh, at the mercy of what they have available in terms of uh, local suppliers. Um, cider mills in, in the uh, in the northeast and the midwest, uh, some parts of the uh, the, the west, uh, upper Midwest. There are there are orchards, uh, apple orchards, and, and a lot of places where they'll they'll press press the cider. It's getting more and more difficult to get cider that has not been pasteurized or treated with ultraviolet. Um, so if you want to if you want to do something with the natural yeast, your your choices are a little bit more limited. But um, if you have a small local cider cider mill, and you get to know them, a lot of times, um, if you tell them what you're doing, a lot of times it's uh, not too difficult to get them to set some aside for you when they're um, when they're pressing. You might want to take some five gallon buckets or something like to, that to them in advance and ask them to set some aside for you. That's one way to uh, to get the juice. But uh, unlike uh, unlike uh, beer making supplies, it, it's not really friendly to uh, shipping uh, through the uh, through the mail. So, so uh, maybe you could uh, walk us through the process. Let's say uh, we want to make, uh, you know, five gallons of uh, great cider. Uh, you know, how do we get started? Where do we go? What, uh, you know, what are, what are the steps and what are the ingredients and uh, uh, to making a great cider? Okay. Well, if uh, I'll, I'll kind of walk it through you a couple of ways. One is if you had your own fruit available. Um, 
whether you get it from a nearby orchard or you grow it yourself, um, the first thing you do is uh, you, you may or may not wash it depending on uh, the condition it's in. Uh, if it's been if it's been on on the ground where um, wild animals are grazing these days, uh, um, a lot of uh, the commercial places uh, will definitely pasteurize that. But um, if if it's something that uh, um, you've grown yourself, uh, you can just take it home, wash it or not wash it. You can run it through a mill, and that grinds it up into small small pieces, um, maybe a, a quarter of an inch, uh, a few millimeters in size, and um, and then this uh, this uh, the milled apples then go into a. Um, depending on the style, you can you could use it right away. You can press it right away to get the juice. Or you could macerate it um, several hours or overnight. Uh, that's typically something you would do if you're going to be doing a French-style cider. And then um, after you uh, press it, usually in a sometimes it's in a screw press, sometimes it's in a hydraulic press. Some people use bladder presses, although you don't usually get a very good yield from that. Um, but you press it, you get the juice. And it may be fairly clear at that point, or it may be very cloudy, depending on the, the apple variety and the condition of the fruit. And the thing to keep in mind is, if you're if you're pressing your own fruit, the condition is really important, I and mean, you want it to be as ripe as possible. Um, this is this is true of both apples and pears, but especially with pears. Uh, after you uh, after you harvest the fruit, you may want to let it sit around for a while. Um, there are a couple of reasons for that. One is um, if you let it sit for a week or two weeks, uh, there some evaporation occurs, and it may concentrate the uh, the the, uh, the juice a little bit. So you end up with a higher bricks to start with, and it also helps gives uh, gives more time for some of the remaining starch in the fruit to convert into sugars. And the other thing is it uh, it, it just gives it more time to ripen and for flavor to develop. And uh, probably the simplest. The most effective way of knowing when the right time is to press is is one that uh, um, a very successful uh, cider and perry maker in England uh, used, Tom Oliver uses, and he says he puts his fruit in the shed, and he just checks it out every day, and when he goes and opens up the door to the shed, and he just is just hit by an incredible smell of, of wonderfully ripe fruit, he knows it's time to press. So at that point, uh, you press the, you mill the fruit, you press the fruit, um now you've got now you've got your must um, some people will do a wild ferment uh, using the natural yeast some people will add a cultured yeast um, one thing that's not really well understand understood by a lot of people would be when they when they talk about using the wild yeast um, uh, there are some wild yeasts natural yeast on the fruit and historically that that's where it starts but in historic cider making, um, that that those natural yeasts end up uh, growing on the uh, the uh, pressing equipment, especially on the press cloths. Uh, when you're pressing fruit, you, the, the the milled apples are built into layers called cheeses, and they're wrapped up in uh, cloths. Uh, in in uh, older times, those cloths were made up may have been made out of horsehair, or um, or they may have been built up from layers of straw. But um, the equipment itself, uh, the press equipment, tends to build up cultures of yeast. So even though it's natural or wild yeast, in a sense, it's, it is a cultured yeast. It's a, 
each each um, each mill basically establishes its own culture. Um, and if you take uh, press equipment that's cleaned by modern standard standards of sanitation, like you would find in a typical um, typical modern cider mill, um, what happens is the equipment is so clean you don't have the culture there. So you have a relatively small amount of wild yeast on the fruit and a relatively high proportion of undesirable bacteria. So a lot of people that, uh, that try to do a, a, a natural fermentation can run into some real problems. Um, it's, it's really more difficult now than it was historically, um, especially if you don't have access to your own equipment. So, um, but for people that prefer to use a cultured yeast or a lot of a lot of good uh, yeast cultures out there. Um, most um, most serious cider makers that have have taken the trouble to source some of their um, some, some some of the uh, nicer cider apples have a philosophy that they they don't want to select a yeast that's going to get a, get in the way of the uh, the qualities of the apples. Uh, the idea is that you you pick a nice blend of apples, and that's the type of cider you're going to get. And you, you want something that's going to be fairly neutral and not interfere with that. So a lot of times, cider makers will look for just kind of a neutral wine yeast, sometimes a champagne yeast. Um, usually they'll look for something that will enhance the fruity aspects. Mm. And uh, some, some of the yeasts that I like are Red Star, Cote de Blanc, Premier Cuvée, um, Lalvin 71B, 1122. Mm. Um, if you like a cold cold start, the... Uh, some of the Saccharomyces biana strains like Lelvin EC1118 is good. It's clean. Yeah. Um, and also, let's see, uh, I believe White Labs also has a, an English cider yeast. And one thing, uh, and, and that's that's a nice yeast, but one thing I'll, I'd like to point out is that the yeast does not make an English cider. So you may be using an English cider yeast, but um, basically... It's the fruit selection that's making the the fruit selection and and fermenting that dry that's making an English style cider. Well, and um, I, I was uh, talking to uh, Chris White about uh, wine yeasts and 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 uh, the yeast that winemakers select or what they might have on their fruit and and it seemed like there's you know not a whole lot of consideration for the yeast as compared to uh, you know how a, a beer brewer would select a yeast for for a different beer and it sounds like you're saying the same thing it's really mainly about the the fruit you select and kind absolutely. of blending absolutely blending and selecting that's the fundamental fruit. difference between making beer and making cider um you uh, you might start with a relatively small number of ingredients in beer and, and vary the styles by the, the type of yeast you use. But um, although you can get that that same sort of variety with using different yeasts, a lot of times the fruit is not, it's, it's not really, um, it doesn't lend itself well to that sort of variety. So um, for most most people that are that are drinking cider, they're not looking for, they may be looking for some complexity, but uh, they're not looking for something that's got off flavors. And uh, unfortunately, it's all too easy to develop off flavors with cider. Well, uh, all right, so l- let's start from the very basics, I guess. 
we're going to select our apples that we're going to have uh, uh, ground up and then pressed into our cider. And so we want a certain blend, right? We want like a sweet apple. We want a tannic apple. We want an acidic apple, right? Or we want a aromatic apple or we want some sort of a blend what's the typical blend we're looking for give us some guidance on on how to select our apples how to make our must okay uh well they're uh, the english have a, a a way of looking at apples they have four categories they have sweets sharps bitter sweets and bitter sharps um the difference between the, between the four categories boils down to um acid levels and uh, tannin levels. The, the bitters, bitter sweets, bitter sharps are the uh, the apples that have um, bitter or astringent qualities. <coughs> and then sweets and sharps. Sweet. Um, it, the difference is not so much the level of sugar. That's that's the, uh, a lot of times a common perception. But it's, the difference is the level of acidity. So uh, um, a sweet would be an apple that has a, a lower level of acidity. So it gives a, a different acid uh, sugar uh, balance, and so what you're looking for is you're looking for a combination of these these different uh, classes of apples, categories of apples, to give you something that's going to give you um, a desirable blend of of um, sweetness, acidity, uh, mouthfeel, um, astringency. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of North American varieties don't have much in the way of astringency. Some of the uh, some of the old time varieties do, but that's but even even 100 150 years ago when there were a lot more um, North American cider varieties available, they were still generally less tannic than their their European counterparts. So um, uh, that's one basic difference that's that that's always existed between uh, European and North American cider. Um, <coughs> excuse me, but the um, as far as uh, as far as specific um, recipes for combining them, it's it's not really very simple because uh, what happens is uh, different varieties will um, give different qualities when grown under different conditions, and there's also a lot of year to year variation. <laughs> So there may be some varieties that, that lend themselves well to, uh, for combination. For example, uh, Liberty and Northern Spy. Um, Bellwether Cider in, um, in Trumansburg, New York, makes a really nice Northern Spy Liberty blend. But they find that they have to tweak their, uh, their proportions year, year to year because the, the fruit varies so much. So I, I can't really say add... 45% of this and 55% of this. The, the proportions are going to, to uh, vary year to year. And so it really does. It is it's a combination of art and science. And um, what about you really flavor, have to just Gary? You really just have to get in there and start doing it and seeing how what you start with compares to what you finish with and, um, and develop the skills over time. Gary, if you're a, a new cider maker, and I was going to go select an apple orchard, would you recommend me going to, like, two or three apple orchards and tasting them and then maybe blending them from there just to kind of get an idea what the fruit's going to do for me? You could do that, or you could, uh, when you go to these, um, when you go to the uh, cider, local cider mills, you can ask, do, if, are there any uh, are there any old-timers that have been making their hard cider for a while? Uh, what do they like to use? Um, it's uh, If you can find a way to get to know them, 
uh, go taste and you know see if you can uh, meet up with them, taste what they've made, see how you like it. Uh, you might think they make a great cider. You might think they make something awful. So um, you definitely want to try to try it before you before you uh, take their advice. And um, but but basically, um, if you're looking for um, if you, if you're fortunate enough to find a uh, an orchard that that does have some of the European varieties of apples, um, you may not necessarily like what you taste. Uh, a lot of these varieties are are pretty awful to eat. Uh, you, you taste it and you pretty pretty much want to spit it out. That might be really bitter, and you might think that it would just be awful. Well, I mean, of course, who likes to uh, who likes to chew on hops? So and, you know, you just can't really go by that. Um, you um, you're looking for something that's got um, enough sugar in it, uh, a gravity of say 1.05 uh, or above, that you can end up with a stable product. Um, if you want to boost it up a little bit higher, I mean, some varieties of apples have a lot more sugar, and so people that are uh, trying to make their blends will usually um, check the gravity of the different juices if they're going to do their own blending, and uh, check the acidity and look for something that's going to give uh, um, a reasonable level of acidity also. I'm not really sure that answers your question. It's, it's, it's a case where you, making cider can be as simple as you want it to be or it can be as complicated as you want it to be. Sure. Uh, at the simplest level, you can go to your local cider mill and just get what they've got, mm-hmm. and, and usually they make a pretty good blend. Um, when they're making a sweet cider to sell, they're they're combining different apples and they're looking for something that's going to give you a nice um, a nice level of sweetness and a nice blend of different varieties. And um, a lot of times you can't go wrong if you if you use the house blend from a local cider mill. Uh, in fact, uh, that's uh, let's see, um, Jeff Carlson, uh, what is he? Two or three times cider maker of the year. That's that's what he uses most of the time. He uses a, a local local blend and it's it's worked very well for them you had mentioned ripeness like a lot um last few minutes i know winemaking a lot of wineries will look at phenolic ripeness as a way to determine all right the fruit's ready and then they'll blend they'll cut down that phenolic ripeness later some water and acid how how important is this phenolic ripeness with a huge quality apple flavor coming through in the end product um well, one thing to consider is that with, with cider, you you want to end up with a lot of flavor if you can, but a lot of times, in fact, in most cases, it's not going to be the, the the flavor that you end up with is not going to be anything at all like what you start with. Um, and this is this is a concept that a lot of people struggle with. Um, when you when you drink a wine, you don't expect it to taste overtly of fresh grapes. And cider's the same way. Um, uh, from the moment fermentation starts, the uh, the fresh apple flavor starts converting into something else, uh, a cider, cidery character, a cidery quality. Um, it's um, equally desirable, but very, very different. Um, so a lot of times, um, people, people that have never had hard cider before and, and, and don't really have the experience when they when they go to try a hard cider, they're usually very very surprised. They're expecting it to be um, 
the taste of fresh apples but have a little bit of an alcoholic kick. And usually that's not what it is. You can get a cider that has that sort of uh, quality, but it's not something that you normally get. Uh, uh, if you if you want that fruit quality, uh, generally you have to ferment to dryness and then uh, back sweeten with a fresh juice. Um, or uh, in the case of some um, some of the uh, um, so-called macro ciders or industrials uh, or just mass-produced ciders, uh, they may. Well, they they usually do back sweeten with uh, either with juice or or concentrate, or and may add some other types of flavoring um, to get that to approximate that fresh apple flavor. But um, when when you when you've been tasting cider for a while, what you find is that your palate changes, and you don't really uh, you don't really expect to find the fresh fruit flavor. You might you might enjoy it once in a while as an, as a, as a change, but um, People over time generally seem to, to uh, um, their palates generally seem to evolve towards drier ciders, ciders that uh, that don't really have the fresh flavor but have a have distinct flavors of apples. And different varieties of cider apples will have flavors that come through, very nice flavors that come through, but they're they're very different when they're fermented. I'm not sure that answers your no, question, no, no. though, does it? No, absolutely. <laughs> What about wild yeast versus um, choosing a uh, yeast from a homebrew shop? Is there, do you prefer wild over, or do you like to have a controlled yeast? Uh, I, I, uh, I, I find that I use the cultured yeast more now than I used to. Um, if I want complexity, I, I just let the cider sit longer, and, and usually uh, over the summer... If you if you don't use a pasteurized cider, uh, a sweet cider, uh, and you have some wild stuff in there, it's, you're going to get some of the extra complexity anyway. Uh, even if you're using a uh, even if you're using a cultured yeast. Okay, that's the short answer. <laughs> you know, it's not really good. <laughs> the the, uh, the other short answer is that uh, um, it's it's a matter of how much risk you want to assume. Um, if you if you do wild ferments, um, you have a much greater likelihood of, of ending up with off flavors. And there are some things that you can do to limit the likelihood of that occurring. Um, um, a lot of people that uh, do wild ferments don't add um, sulfite, and that's uh, that's actually probably not a very good strategy. Um, you can get a lot of complexity that way, but it may not be the sort of complexity people want to drink. Uh, could be pretty awful, and then, and um, usually when you're talking about that type of cider, and um, an old an old proverb comes to mind. It's uh, I don't know if this is an authentic Chinese proverb or not, but I the way I heard it is that uh, every man loves the smell of his own flatulence, and it's kind of like that with with uh, home cider makers making wild yeast ferments. I mean, it, they'll try something, and, and this is this is something that I, I found is true even in my own. When I was first getting started and doing wild ferments, um, I, 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 I said, wow, this is something, this is really different. I've never tasted anything like this before. And um, and then over time, uh, I realized, well, this isn't actually very good, though. <laughs> and, you know, you I, I be, often say that when I fart. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is really different. Uh, yeah. Maybe that wasn't so good. All right. So. Yes. Yes. 
With, and uh, you generally appreciate your own more than your right. friends do, you know. Yeah. But with cider, people tend to be polite, you know, depending on you know how good the friends are. But they and, may or may not tell you what they really think. Judicious um, use of the Dutch oven. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to answer some questions from the chat room, and we want you to to break the recipe down to you know the basic steps that uh, somebody would need to follow to, to to make a great cider. I know that's that's a, a, a difficult thing, not knowing the source of the apples, but uh, give us your best shot at. We'll be back after this. Okay, I rolled a 15, and I get a plus two from my yeast starter. Nope, sorry, you failed your roll. Your beer is infected. No way! You had to beat a 24. It's schizosaccharomyces. This sucks! I just failed versus oxidation! Our party is fracked! Doug's the only one left, and his beer is a Berliner Weiss! What's this? A tea party? Hey, this is a brew session, man. Get lost! Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really uh, use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Does your significant other know the difference between an Irish red ale and a Flanders red ale? Do you burp, strizzle, spalt, and fart Y yeast 2308? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs, ingredients, equipment, and knowledge 24 hours a day at northernbrewer.com. Plus fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the socially awkward Patters beer and the sci-fi convention showstopper number eight make 10th level at northernbrewer.com what have you gotten out of a vial of white labs yeast wlp 001 cal ale baby 23 burton ale 008 east coast ale cal common wlp 810 it's gonna be wlp 400 with beer i got a sweet hoodie for my vial huh White Labs, your source for great brewer's yeast, would like to invite all homebrewers to join the White Labs Customer Club. Redeem your empty vials for great White Labs merchandise and products. Free yeast, glassware, t-shirts, baseball caps, sweatshirts, polo shirts, and you won't believe what you'll get for 5,000 vials. Members also receive a newsletter packed with White Labs updates and facts, interviews with professional brewers, brew your own clone recipes, beercook.com recipes, and customer club stories. The White Labs Customer Club. Save your vials and get in the club. White Labs, it's all in the vial. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of their 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Their Williams German Pills is mashed with pure German Moravian two-row barley malt for a light blonde color and malty crispness you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out their unique fermenters, draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and more. They even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection and enter promo code BREW at the order checkout for $5 off your next order over $50. Orders placed by 3 p.m. ship the same day. Again, go to williamsbrewing.com and enter promo code BREW at checkout for $5 off your next order. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Live. Beer Radio, the Brewing Network, the Brewcasters. If you're just starting, don't be discouraged by all this stuff. It's exactly. so easy. Just throw it yeah. together. Put yeah. some sugar and some water and some yeast in there. Yeah. Like beer. <laughs> <laughs> 
is the Jameel Show. All right, we're back with we're here with uh, Gary Audie, and he is a master cider maker, teaching us how to brew a great cider. Now, Gary, give us uh, you know the the quick basic recipe. I know people would have to adjust one way or another depending on the source of the apples, but uh, you know you get X pounds of apples on on average to make five gallons of must. You pitch, uh, you know what yeast. Uh, you let it go how long at what fermentation temperatures, and then what adjustments do you make before you package it up? Oh, Give okay. us that rundown. Well, we'll back it up just a little bit to say that you've got, you've got your juice now. You might have gotten it from a local, uh, you might have gotten it from a local cider mill or press it yourself. Um, but before you pitch your yeast, uh, it, most people will probably want to add some sulfite. And, uh, the trick there, and there's a nice trick. You want to add enough to do to uh, to inhibit the the undesirable microbial stuff, but you want to let your yeast get uh, get the uh, a certain dominance. And a nice way to do that is to uh, check your pH of your of your cider. You know, folks that don't have access to a good pH meter, you can get um, narrow range test strips. I believe uh, you, they're available from Northern Brewer. Uh, uh, they'll be measuring a range of about 3.0 to 4.2, and based on the level of acidity of the pH in the uh, in the cider in the juice, you use uh, a particular amount of sulfite. And uh, I'm not going to give the details here because it's it's kind of it can be a little bit uh, intimidating without the uh, the visuals. But um, for folks that want to um, to to do that themselves, all the information is available. On Andrew Lee's Whittenham, Whittenham Hill Cider Portal. Uh, online, that's www.cider.org.uk. And um, on that page, there's a link to the science of cider making, and it will give you all the information on, um, on uh, based on what the pH of your cider is, how many, uh, how many Camden tablets you're going to want to add, or how much stock solution you're going to want to add. Uh, it gives instructions on how, how to make the stock solution. Um, but basically, you're going to throw in a little bit of, of that sulfite, and that's going to slow everything else down, not the yeast so much. And that's, uh, that's, where, you, uh, that's where the yeast starts taking off. Um, in terms of fermentation temperature, um, most cider makers find that a low temperature works really well. Um, in the... Uh, High 30s, low 40s, low to mid 40 degree Fahrenheit scale. Um, the colder it is, the slower it is. But the benefit of a slow ferment is that you don't evolve a lot of uh, CO2 gas and and blow off the uh, the desirable um, aromatics. So, um, depending on the the, uh, the temperature and the style you're shooting for, it can take it can take weeks, months. Or in some cases, even a year before you're ready to uh, to bottle. That that's fascinating. Yes. We were just stunned by that piece you're of information. Headlights. Yeah, you're lagering on your cider. That's crazy. Yeah, that's like complete and, uh, opposite for, of what we expected. Yeah, and for folks that are just getting started that that want more information, there there's some some really good books out there. Um, one of them I would recommend uh, would be Andrew Lee's uh, book craft cider making just came out 
Um, for those that are looking for it, you can punch in whatever whatever bookseller site you go to. Uh, just punch in the uh, ISBN number. It's nine seven eight one nine zero four eight seven one three seven eight. Um, ben Watson, uh, another uh, another author, uh, just put out a second edition of Cider Hard and Sweet. Um, also a very good book. Uh, both of these are good for people that are just getting started. Ben Watson's book, his ISBN number is 9780881508192. Um, it's a case where either one would do if if you really uh if you're really into it you might want to get both they complement each other very nicely um andrew lee's book is a little bit heavier on the science side of it um ben watson's uh he uh, he it's a little bit geared more towards north american cider so there's a little more discussion of some of the varieties of apples that you might find um do you do any uh, post-ferment uh, adjustments, tannins, acids, anything like that, sweeteners, anything? What about malolactic? You, well, you can. Uh, the, 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 the problem with doing adjustments to tannins after fermentation is if you add something like um, grape tannin, um, there's a lot, of, a lot of distinct flavor that comes with that, and it's generally not, not perceived to be very desirable. So uh, one way to around that is if you do have access to tannic apple varieties, you can do a, a tannic fermentation, and then you can blend after you're done. You can take uh, you can take different finished ciders and blend them. Um, of course, when you do that before you bottle, you want to let that sit for a while, let the blend sit to make sure that you don't precipitate anything out. Uh, sometimes you'll you'll precipitate out the tannins. And, uh, and a lot, and other other unexpected things can happen. Hmm. Um, and I do a lot of I do a lot of uh, blending at the end. Um, the, right now, the biggest um, the biggest single variety I do is is, is uh, an English bittersweet variety called Yarlington Mill, and it just it just so happens that it's just a wonderful blending apple. So it's uh, if you want to make an English cider, you use that by itself or with a little bit of. Uh, a slightly more acidic apple um, to give it a little bit more acid bite. But then if you're look, looking for a, um, a French cider, you could use that and with more of a French fermentation technique. If you're doing a common cider, you could throw that in with your blend, and it'll give you a little bit of astringency, um, which, which will really help the mouthfeel. That's fascinating. So the the you know really the gist of it is uh, you know more blending than adjusting with uh, you know any uh, additives or adjuncts you might have. Yeah, Justin. You can, you, oh, you can you, and you can also adjust the acidity. Um, malic acid is available in homebrew shops. Uh-huh. Um, you, if it's uh, normally it's not necessary to adjust it though. I mean it usually goes the other way in uh, in at least in North America. Um, Varieties that you have generally have a, a fair amount of acidity in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless unless you have access to some European varieties, it may not be necessary to adjust that way. Okay, uh, Justin, questions from the chat room at all? Yeah, we got a few questions from the chat. Um, someone wanted to know if you know anything about Farnham Hill or Kingston Black Apples. Yeah, Farnham Hill. That's uh, that's um, the cider maker I referred to earlier, Steve Wood. 
they're in uh, Lebanon, New Hampshire. Um, they do make a nice Kingston Black cider. Um, Kingston Black is an English bitter sharp variety, uh, so a little bit more acidity in it. Uh, Steve Steve Woods Farm Hill ciders in generally are a, a little bit higher in acid. Um, Steve goes for a style that's a little bit more a little more wine-like, uh, and that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with how his ciders are marketed. Uh, they tend to be, um, uh, they're sold in some um, uh, wine shops in New York City. It's, uh, it's considered a premium cider, and as far as I know, Steve Wood is the first person that uh, broke the $25 a bottle uh, mark uh, with his sales prices in New York City. Good for him. So, uh, how about would Fuji or other sweeter type of apples work? Um, they they can. Um, Fuji um, tends to not have a whole lot of flavor after fermentation, but there are others. Some others like uh, Johnna Gold um, that that uh, that usually works pretty well. Um, I mentioned Liberty before. Northern Spy Baldwin is a wonderful old time apple. Been around a long time, and it makes a wonderful cider. Um, if you if you have a, 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 a an assortment available. Um, it really pays off to do small batches and, and try different blends. Um, what, whatever you have available locally is is not necessarily going to be like what uh, someone in another state is going to have. Uh, for example, uh, the uh, at the uh, Great Lakes International Cider and Perry Competition uh, last month, uh, the uh, in the non-commercial division, the best of show went to Claude Jolicoeur of Quebec with a uh, Cortland cider. And Cortland, uh, the the uh, the apples that Claude uses are just tiny little things that have been grown under uh, the colder, more stressful environment of Quebec, and um, they they develop a, a, a surprising amount of flavor. And uh, it just it turned out to be a wonderful cider. The same apple grown further south could be a real disappointment, hmm. um, and that's true with other varieties too. So when you when you're thinking about um, if you if you happen to be thinking about what apples you might want to uh, to uh, to grow, um, you have to take that into account. And um, there are some varieties that grow better in the south than they do in the north. Um, okay. You really need to just check with the growers and 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 do some of your own experimentation and find out what works well for you. All right. Uh, someone asked if getting unpasteurized juice from the store does clear versus cloudy make any difference? Um, does it? It doesn't really make a difference um, if it's cloudy from the store. Uh, there are two. It's usually one of two things. One, either it's it's fresh cider that's that's been on the shelf um, a matter of days or a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. or it may be something that's had um, uh, an enzyme added to added to it to keep it cloudy longer and give it a longer shelf life, give it the appearance of freshness longer. So it um, it 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 really doesn't matter. I mean, if it's fresh juice. Um, it should work fine, but typically, if it's cloudy, um, that that's pectin uh, in suspension, and 
it's pectin is not um, is not soluble in alcohol. So as the fermentation proceeds, that's that's going to drop out of solution eventually, or drop out of suspension. Okay. So uh, typically, it'll be clear by the time you're done. In any case, all right. Um, someone asked about when aging fruit for a couple of days. What temperature should we age them? Does that matter? Uh, well, th- th- that practice actually originated in Europe, and when it's done in when it was done in England, they would just pile the apples in piles uh, two or three feet deep outside, um, and it was whatever temperature you had outside. Uh, that's a, f- a fairly moderate climate, so it wasn't getting it wasn't freezing at night. But um, I, I think it's a uh, it's pretty forgiving. It uh, doesn't really matter if it's really warm or really uh, cool, but if it's warmer, uh, ripening is going to occur a lot faster. Okay. Did you guys talk about yeast starters for this? Uh, someone had asked if a yeast starter is necessary for a cider, and um, if so, would you make it with apple juice as your base and instead of you know you know DME like we would a beer starter? Okay. Are you are you talking about a, a cultured yeast starter, or are you talking about uh, a, uh, something to feed the yeast? Yeah, more something to feed. Like uh, if we were doing a beer, uh, you know, Jamil and everybody here always recommends taking a vial uh, or a smack pack and putting it into an Erlenmeyer flask uh, of wort to build up uh, the yeast, uh, uh, and and liven it up. Uh, you know, prior to pitching, would we do that with cider yeast as well? If uh, if you're doing a warmer ferment, you probably would want to do that just to ensure the uh, likelihood that you're going to give that yeast a, a, the dominance. Um, but if you have, it's depending on the style. If, if if you're doing a very low temperature ferment, um, you, you might not need very much starter. Um, if you're trying to end up with a cider that has residual sweetness. You're going to try to consume the some of the critical nutrients, yeast nutrients, out of the juice, and one of the ways you do that is is by growing the yeast in the in the cider. So if you um, put enough in there to let it grow, uh, and then rack it, and eventually the, uh, those if it, if all goes well, um, the those critical nutrients might be exhausted and you may end up with some residual sweetness. Now, there's some things you can do to, to help that along, like um, the process of keeving, which is, which is a deliberate way of exhausting the, the nutrients. But um, um, some people prefer to have a well-fed yeast, um, so you may want to use a, a, a yeast nutrient. But if you do that, you pretty much have uh, guaranteed that it's, gonna, it's going to finish fully dry and that's typically what happens in most cases anyway. It's just a matter of how quickly it proceeds to full dryness. Okay. All right, and last question I had come through is um, talking about putting brett in in a cider or something like a Rosalaire blend, something like that, to sour it. Is that, have you have any experience with that? Well, it, it becomes a matter of personal taste um, because most... Uh, at least in North America, most apples have a fairly substantial amount of acid, so uh, they tend to finish a little bit on the sour side anyway. Um, so anything that that adds sourness is probably not going to be to the benefit. Um, in terms of adding Brett, sometimes it could uh, add to the complexity. Um, uh, malolactic fermentation also sometimes if you have too much acid. Uh, that's one way of of, of reducing the uh, perceived acidity. 
when you when you when you have a lot of um, uh, a lot of malic acid in your in your cider, and it's too tart, uh, a lactic fermentation la- lacto now um, lactic fermentation will convert that lac- uh, malic acid into lactic acid, which has about half of the effective acidity. And that will smooth out the cider. It does a couple of things, actually. One, one is it'll reduce the perceived acidity, perceived tartness. Um, but the other side of that is it, um, it gives it a roundness. It gives it more complexity, but it, at the same time, it reduces some of the fruitiness. So it's a trade-off. Okay. Uh, some some people that are looking for a fruity cider probably are not going to want to have that. But if you um, if you're aiming for something that's a little bit more complex or, or maybe a little more European in character, then you might get a little bit more uh, a little bit more interesting cider that way. All right, and that's it from the chat, Jamil. Fantastic! Thank you very much, Gary. Uh, we appreciate you uh, spending the time. I know you're your East Coast, and uh, this is very late for you, but I think you did an excellent job of covering ciders Absolutely. for us. Yeah. I think uh, we all learned considerable amounts. I know here in the studio we're taking notes. John and I are both writing down the California the supplier for the trees and yeah. all that, or <laughs> for the cider, for the apple trees. Oh, well, in like. California, you're probably going to want to check out the uh, Apple Hill area. There's uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Their uh, specialty that, yeah. there, uh, they have some really good Gravensteins. So that's that's going to be your local variety. Excellent. Nice. Thank you very much. We appreciate uh, your joining us today. And we want to thank our uh, fantastic sponsor, Northern Brewer, for uh, making uh, all this possible. Uh, last three years of uh, fine programming, yeah. uh, excluding that last cider show we did. Hey, that was fine, too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, most people said, hey, we really enjoyed it, and we we, we, uh, we accept the fact that you guys deserved one for yourselves. <laughs> but, and, uh, and it was fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic, and 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 a lot of people didn't say, "Oh, you don't have to redo it." That's okay, and uh, I think most of the people they just wanted to see us uh, get back on the air again. And we'll be back on the air in just a few minutes. If you're listening live, we're going to be back uh, with my good friend uh, Peter Simons from Australia. He's going to talk Australian sparkling, sparkling. and pale ale. Nice. It's going to be a great show. Another uh, guest. So if you're listening live, hang on. Otherwise, uh, in get two weeks, you'll get this. Uh, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong. <laughs> 